everybody, this is Kale Clark, and this is The Faith Explained on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio mobile app. So good to be with you today. As we're finishing up Romans chapter 8, I want to share with you one of the most poignant stories I have ever heard. And if this does not encourage you in your faith, I don't know what possibly would. It's a story about a young man named Hien Pham, who was from Vietnam and who used to work as a translator first for the American military, but then later on for Christian missionaries in Vietnam. And I heard about his story uh, in in a book that was written by a a late preacher and evangelist. And he talked about how he met this young man, Hien Pham, in 1971 during a preaching tour where he was his translator. And they became very, very good friends. The, The missionary went back home to the United States and thought he'd probably never see this guy again. Well, this was back in 1971, and within four years, Vietnam, of course, fell. And the fate of this man, this Christian named Hien Pham, was unknown. And so I'm just going to relate to you what this author shared. He said that in 1988, 17 years later, he received a surprise phone call, and it was Hien Pham. And Pham, and Pham was now living in the United States and so this missionary and preacher asked him, how in the world did you get out of Vietnam? What, what, what happened? The story boggles the mind and just staggers the imagination. Shortly after Vietnam fell to the communist regime, Hien Pham was arrested. And he was accused of aiding and abetting the Americans. Of course, he had worked with them as a military translator. He wasn't in the American military, but he just served as a translator. At any rate... Hien was thrown in prison, and he spent several years there under very, very harsh conditions. And in fact, the sole purpose of his jailers was to indoctrinate him against the West, especially against any ideals of democracy, and most certainly against Christianity. He was only permitted to read communist propaganda. Nothing nothing was allowed in English, because of course he knew English very well. He was only allowed to read communist materials printed in either French, because, of course, the French were involved in Vietnam at some point, and also in Vietnamese. Well, he he just had this daily overdose of communism, and he kept reading and reading, and and he was reading the writings of Marx, Engels, and over time it took a toll. And in fact, one of the, the books that he read had an image of a communist man pictured as a, a bird in a cage, a bird trapped in the cage of capitalism. And he kept throwing himself against the bars of capitalist oppression, bloodying himself in the process, but still continued to struggle for freedom. Hien Pham began to lose his hope. He began to lose his faith, and he thought, you know, maybe I have been lied to after all. Maybe God really doesn't exist. Maybe the communists are right. Maybe my whole life up to this point has been governed by lies. Maybe the West really has deceived me after all. He kept thinking about this more and more, and he finally got to a decision point. He determined that the next day he would reject his Christian faith, he wouldn't pray anymore, and he would embrace communism. He'd never think about Christianity again. Well, the next morning did arrive. And his job in the prison that day was to 
clean the prison latrines. And this was absolutely the dirtiest job in the prison. Everyone was just terrified that they would be chosen for this most dreaded task. Everybody shunned, of course, the person who was on duty that day. No one would want to go near this person. And so he and Pham, with a lot of sadness and resignation, reluctantly uh, took up this awful task. And as he's cleaning the filthy restrooms, uh, he noticed that there was a tin can, a, a waste paper basket, that was filled to overflowing with toilet paper. But something out of the ordinary caught his eye. He thought he saw some words written in English printed on a piece of paper that was crumpled up and thrown into the waste paper bin. And he, and he took a closer look. He fished it out. And he didn't, he didn't want to get caught looking at this. So he, he very quickly just kind of wiped it off and put it into his hip pocket. And he thought, I'm going to read this at night when, when no one can see me. But he had not seen anything printed in English for months and months and months. And so he was with bated breath, waiting for any kind of moment he could take a look at this piece of paper. Well, that night, after all of his fellow prisoners had fallen asleep, uh, the guards were not nearby, he pulled out under his mosquito net a very tiny flashlight, and he shined it on the damp piece of paper, and it said at the top corner, Romans chapter 8. And him, fam, was literally trembling as he began to read these words. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And those words, of course, are for, from Romans chapter 8. Hien Pham wept. I mean, he had known his Bible inside and out, and he hadn't seen one in quite some time, but he knew that there wasn't a single passage, maybe in all of Scripture, that was more relevant for what he was dealing with on the precipice of giving up his faith on the verge of surrendering to the threat of evil. He cried out to God and asked for forgiveness because, remember, that was supposed to be the first day in years that he had determined he was not going to pray. He was going to give up his faith. But God had other plans. The next day, Hien Pham asked the camp commander, Can I please clean the prison latrines again? And this guy was like, uh... Okay, that's the strangest request I've ever received, but fill your boots. And so he kept doing this, and he kept looking in that waste paper bin, and every day he discovered more and more pages of Scripture because there was a communist official in the camp, and he had such disdain, such disrespect for Christianity 
that every day when he went to the washroom, he, were, he was using pages of the Bible as toilet paper and throwing them away. Every day, a different page. So each day, Hien, as he was cleaning the latrines, picked up a bit of scripture, cleaned it off, and he added it to his nightly devotional reading. And he actually put together a significant chunk of the Bible over many weeks. Well, eventually Hien was released from prison. And as soon as he could, he started making plans to escape Vietnam. He had several unsuccessful attempts, but once again he tried. He built a boat in secret, and he was terrified that the authorities would discover his plans. In fact, 53 other friends were trying to escape with him, and he was taking the lead. Well, everything seemed to be going okay. He seemed to have escaped detection, but just a few days before he was due to depart, four Viet Cong soldiers knocked on Hien's door, and he opened it, and they immediately accosted him, grabbed him by the lapels, and said, We have heard you're trying to escape. Is it true? And he denied it. He said, No, absolutely not. I, I, I don't know where in the world you heard such a thing. He made up a story to kind of cover his activities, and evidently he was a good actor because the, guard, the soldiers were convinced and they left. Hien Pham was relieved, but very, very disappointed in himself. He said to himself, here I go again, Lord, trying to manipulate my own destiny. Too unteachable in my spirit to really believe that you can lead me past any obstacle. You spoke to me in the prison. Now I'm out. And I just lie to these guys. So he made a promise to God. And he hoped and prayed that God would not take him up on this. He prayed that if the Viet Cong soldiers came back again, he would actually tell them the truth. Well, he... Thought that was pretty much impossible, so he, he wasn't worried about it at all. But just a few hours on the day that he was to escape with his 53 friends, wouldn't you know it, these four soldiers stood at his door one more time. They said, we have our sources and we know you're trying to escape. Is it true? And this time, Yen Pham said, yes, I am. It's true. In fact, I'm supposed to leave in just a couple hours from now with 53 others. So go ahead and throw me back into prison. Well, there was a very pregnant pause for a couple of moments, and then the soldiers leaned in and whispered, No, we want to escape with you. Utterly incredible. So all 58 of these guys found themselves on the high seas in this boat that Yen Pham had, had cobbled together, and a violent storm raged, and Yen once again fell on his knees in prayer, his face in his hands, cried out to God, Did you bring us here to die? But as it turned out, those four soldiers were incredibly experienced sailors. They were very skilled in handling a boat, and if it were not for them being on this voyage, no one would have survived. But they made it safely to Thailand, and then some years later, Hien Pham arrived in America, and that is where he lives today. He is grateful for freedom in praying that the United States of America will open its heart as a people to Jesus Christ. What, what an incredible story stemming from maybe the most famous verse in the Bible outside of John 3.16, Romans 8.28. We know that in everything God works for good with those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. You're listening to The Faith Explained on Relevant Radio, and I'm your host, 
Kale Clark. As long as we're talking about Romans here, specifically Romans 8.28, it probably is, according to one scholar, the most misunderstood verse in the Bible. Scholar N.T. Wright, Dr. Nicholas Thomas Wright, who has a very fortunate name, N.T., New Testament, he's in the New Testament studies. Okay, you get it. Uh, he, he's incredibly prolific as a writer. He's written books such as The Resurrection of the Son of God and all kinds of books about Jesus in history. And he used to ask people this question. If you could take one chapter of the Bible to a desert island, which would it be? But before people could answer, he'd say, you're not allowed to say Romans chapter 8. All right, okay. So uh, otherwise, almost everybody would pick that chapter because it is an incredible chapter. It's, it's really a great summary of the message of the entire plan of salvation. It's very comforting. It also spurs us to action. And N.T. Wright, actually writing in Time magazine, he wrote a, a piece about this recently, about how Romans 8.28 is very often misunderstood and maybe even mistranslated. So probably the most famous verse in the Bible is John 3.16. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. You know that verse. And you've seen bedsheet banners, of course, at football games, which people raise up whenever a field goal or an extra point is about to be kicked. The people who do this, they often put John 3.16 on a big bedsheet banner, hoping that somebody watching on TV will look it up and get to know Christ and read the gospel. That's a good thing in my books. But Romans 8.28 isn't really that far behind in terms of popular verses. All things work together for good to them that love God. That, that's a famous translation, and that's the one that's in the King James translation. Now, we in the Catholic Church don't use this, but everybody seems to know that particular version of it. The problem is Romans 8.28 is often extremely misunderstood. In everything, God works for good with those who love him. Some people think that it really means every cloud has a silver lining or experience is what you get when you don't get what you want. N.T. Wright says, these are common misunderstandings of, of this verse, this, this idea that things are going to all work out in the end. And, and it, I do think there is some truth there, that, that God does orchestrate things. I mean, indeed, all of human history is coming to a purpose, an end point, a goal, the return of Christ. But that's not what St. Paul actually wrote. That, that's the big problem. As N.T. Wright explains, people will often take this verse and they'll leave the God part out of it. Because the way some people understand this, it makes it sound as if everything, everything that happens in the world has kind of, it's kind of this dynamic that guarantees there's going to be a happy outcome. But that's not how St. Paul thought. And this verb that Paul used, it doesn't mean in everything God works for the good to those who love him. It actually means works with those who love him. This, this is interesting. We know that in everything God works for good with those who love him. Now, there's a big, big difference here. So we got to remember, first of all, God is the one who works things together for good. Things don't work together for good on their own. The second thing is, how does God actually do this? How does God work all things together for good? He doesn't do it all by himself. He does it with those who love him. He does it with us, with you and me. That means we have a part to play in this, things working out. 
God counts on us to be his hands, his feet. And we know in the Catholic Church, there's the doctrine of the church, the mystical body of Christ. And we have to help Jesus in his mission of evangelizing the world, bringing his truth and light to all people. Now, some people don't want to have anything to do with this. Can't God just do it all? No, we. this is part of how we got to give, give back to God in thanksgiving for everything that he's done for us. What does Paul write way back in Romans chapter 8, verse 12? And we, we've looked at this in the past. He says, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, the sinful nature, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit, verse 13, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So we have to actually embrace our vocation. This is the debt of gratitude we owe to God. And so we've got a task. We've got a job to do. And this makes perfect sense. St. Paul is very fond of, of pointing back to the book of Genesis, the first book in the Bible, where we went wrong and God's promise to make it right. And don't forget, as N.T. Wright points out, in the beginning, God created humanity to be partners in his creation project. His image bearers, his agents, reflecting his purposes for the world. So, so he, he was depending on us in the beginning, and he's depending on us now as well to develop the kingdom. And that's why in Romans 8, Paul talks about the creation groaning like a woman in labor pains, these are really the birth pangs of the new creation. And so we have to share in that groaning. We, we've got to pray. We've got to groan. We've got to pray for the world. But we also have to take action in the power of the Spirit. This is crucial for us to be shaped into what N.T. Wright calls the Jesus pattern, the pattern of the cross. Our lives really have to have that pattern of the cross. We have to share the pain so that the world may be redeemed. We have to be co-redeemers with Christ. This is amazing, and it's something that's it's a high calling. We really have to understand this and, and appreciate it. This really has to do with our vocation. It's more than just bringing comfort, and it, it is comforting. Let's, let's face it, it is. God's healing purposes, but he also made us to share in this work of renewing the creation. We've got to pray. We've got to be there where the world is in pain, where this groaning exists, the lament looks like. Uh, it's all over the place, and we've got to be right in the middle of it. So really, maybe a better translation of this verse is, we know, in fact, that God works all things together for good with those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. So as N.T. Wright says, we need a new generation of people who can collaborate with the God of creation and the God of the new creation. People who learn the art and the struggle of prayer even the prayer of lament, especially in times such as ours. So it's so exciting to uh, read the letter to the Romans from St. Paul. We'll continue to do so in the next episode of The Faith Explained. But right now, it's time to open up the Faith Explained Q&A mailbag. Let's go. Welcome to our Faith Explained Q&A mailbag segment. I want to remind you that you can email me your question. The address is faith at relevantradio.com, F-A-I-T-H at relevantradio.com. Please send me an email. Could use some more questions. We're getting to the bottom of the bag for sure. So need a refresh. Well, this question comes to me from Robin in Tucson, Arizona, uh, listening, of course, on the Relevant Radio app. And Robin asks, hi, Kale. 
Are there expected to be any more major prophets to arise in the age of the church? Well, that's a, that's that's actually kind of an interesting question. I, I would say on one level, I actually really hope so, because we are all called to be prophets, and, and hopefully we're called to be major league prophets as well. In fact, as part of our baptism, we share in the offices of Christ as prophet, priest, and king. And what is the definition of a prophet? A prophet is someone who tells the truth of God to the world. And we can be prophetic in our actions as well as in our words. But in terms of, of are there going to be any more major league prophets um, in salvation history? No, really, Christ is the final word from God. He, he's really, and he's certainly more than a prophet, of course. He's God the Son. He's divine. But he's also the last word from God. And people do have questions about this. And uh, as is very well known in Islam, they believe that Muhammad is God's last prophet and that Jesus himself was only a prophet. So how do you respond to this idea that that there can be more prophets after the time of Christ? Well, my friend Trent Horn, who's a fabulous Catholic author and speaker and apologist, uh, once answered a question about that very topic about whether or not we should expect any more prophets giving public revelation. And really the answer is no. And some people get confused about this because, as he says, there, there are seers sometimes who are given private revelations. For example, the children at Fatima. But here's the deal. This is private revelation, and no one is bound to believe it, even the approved private revelations of the church, like Fatima. But there will be no more public revelation. It's like some sort of a prophet like Moses. And in fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, Moses said this, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brethren, him you shall heed. And of course, Jesus fits the bill for this perfectly. Because of course, he is Jewish. He rises from the people of Israel. And he is really God's final word, his revelation. In the Acts of the Apostles, St. Peter says this. He actually talks about what, what Moses said there. And he follows it up by saying, What God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ should suffer, he thus fulfilled. And we know that uh, the letter to the Hebrews talks about how in many and in various ways God spoke of old to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. And it's interesting to note that Catholics are always looking for the last days. When are the last days going to begin? When are we in the end times? Well, really, you could say the end times or the last days began with the life, the ministry, the death, the resurrection, ascension of Jesus Christ that really ushered in the final age. We, we are living in the end times right now. We just don't know how long those times are going to be. And as Trent Horn pointed out, in his own teaching, Jesus very definitively showed that he is the final word from God. and He is, of course, the living word from God. Think about the parable of the wicked vineyard tenants. He, he describes how they killed hired servants and who were the servants? This is obviously a parable about the temple establishment. They killed, they killed the prophets before, and now they kill the heir, 
the son of the owner of the vineyard, who clearly represents Jesus. Jesus is not just another prophet. He is the divine son. He has the, the title deed to the whole kingdom. So God has sent something, someone, who is much more than a prophet, his only begotten son, the divine Christ, God the Son, Jesus Christ. So there is to be no more great major prophets, revelations. We are, we're simply unfolding the revelation that Christ has given us, the deposit of faith. As Jude says in his letter in verse 3, there's no chapters, just verses in Jude's short letter. He says, Beloved, being very eager to write to you of our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. And this really is the deposit of faith and kind of like an onion. We're just peeling back layers where we're discovering more and more what's inside. Or, or as one early church father, St. Irenaeus said, hey, the deposit of faith is like a treasure that's been put in a bank. We're kind of drawing coins out of the piggy bank. We're trying to draw out the treasures and, and figure out the riches of the Christian faith. So important. All right. So hopefully that helps to answer that question. We've got time for another quick question here. And this one comes to me from Leanna in Hartford, Connecticut, who is listening to The Faith Explained on Apple Podcasts. And she writes, Hi, Kale. Why is it that we sign ourselves with the sign of the cross on our forehead, our lips, and our heart before the reading of the gospel? Where does this tradition come from? Good question. It actually comes from, well, strictly speaking, it actually comes to us from the Roman Missal. And the Roman Missal is not something that flies. It is, of course, a book. Uh, it is the instruction of the Mass. And, and in fact, it says in the Roman Missal what we ought to do during the Mass, when we should stand, when we should kneel, what our responses are. And we have to make the sign of the cross on our foreheads, lips, and our hearts just before the Gospel is read. Now, why do we do this? That's It, it seems pretty obvious. And one of the great things about our Catholic faith is that there are a lot of object lessons in, in the physicality of, of our faith. And so when we make the sign of the cross over our mind, our lips, and our heart, we're basically saying this. We're saying, may the word of Christ be fruitful in my mind. May I be meditating on it constantly, studying it, learning it. May I be able to proclaim it well uh, with my lips, and may I love it with my heart. May the Lord be in my mind, on my lips, and in my heart, I guess you could say. So we have to make sure that our minds really are transformed by the Word of God. We must understand we do have to preach the Word. And we have to use more than just actions. We have to actually tell people about our faith from time to time as well. We get to do this. It's a great task, and God will help us. But our hearts have to be transformed above all. And as Jesus said, it's out of the heart. That's where the wellsprings of life really come from. So we've got to make sure that we are transformed in our inner being our will, what we love, what we care about, our passion has to be for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if you have a question for me in our Faith Explained mailbag segment, you can send it in. The email address is faith at relevantradio.com. And you can find me also on the X app at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. Catch you later today at 5 p.m. Central for the Kale Clark Show, only here on Relevant Radio and in the next episode of the Faith Explained. Share the podcast with a friend. God bless you.